The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning, Tower View. I think I got everything up and working. And everything is going hunky-dory. I am looking at all my different screens that I got to look at. All right. What do we got here? We have we have comments. All right. I see Linda's comment. Good morning, Shirley and Don. Judy, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching and listening. Okay, I got my cross post going. Let's see. I want to do this and do this. And just in case you didn't know, I'm from Tower View Baptist Church. And you can check out our website, towerviewkc.com. You can call us on the number on the screen, and I will go over that later on. And you say, but who are you? I don't know. I'm Pastor Nelson Nisley. I'm Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. And I am back in Kansas City this weekend. Um, God bless everyone there. Thank you for prayers. I made it home safely. Um, took me a little longer than expected. So I, I made it a two-day trip because I didn't want to get home at 2 or 3 in the morning or something like that. So here we are. And... We are back here. Let's see. Darren is here this morning. I'm glad Darren is up and awake so early this morning. I know this is really early for Darren to get up. Not. All right. Um, he's a strange animal, that guy. All right. But don't tell him I said that. Well, I'm glad you're here. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. Church will be happening in a couple hours here at 1030. It and, and if the weather holds, which it looks like it will, looks like the rain's being pushed off, we will have a church fellowship picnic afterwards. Bring your own chair, bring your own food. So uh, thank you for watching and listening. Let's see. I'm clicking things. Um, there we go. Well, this morning we are going to be in Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for all that you blessed us with. Thank you for all uh, the things for salvation, which gives us eternity in heaven. Lord, there's anything other than that is just gravy, Lord. The blessings on this earth are temporary, but the blessings in heaven are eternal. So help us as we read this this morning that we can glean from it, that we can worship you because of it. You are the mighty God, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Um, let's see. Anything else going on here? Let's see. Comments are working. We have people watching. I have shared it with where I need to share it. I'm sure Darren is sharing it everywhere that he can, possibly. So here we go. We are in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. So last week, we were also in Luke chapter 22. 
And we were in, uh, we, we ended with verses uh, 23, where they were arguing about who was going to betray him, because they didn't know. And, and part of it is, I don't think Judas saw what he's, his actions, at least initially, that his actions were a betrayal. I think he was politically motivated. He was trying to help Jesus. So he wouldn't see what he was doing as, as, um, as being a traitor. He had a way of justifying it, and we'll, we'll get into that. And then after the Lord, after that supper that we read about, they left that upper room, and they started walking, and they left Jerusalem, crossed the Kindred Valley, went back up to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And during the walking, or during the time there, uh, Peter or Jesus predicts that Peter is going to um, deny him, not betray him, but deny him three times. And then Jesus makes an odd thing in in, in verses thirty five to thirty eight. He talks about what is going to happen, about what we need in the future. And he talked about when he sent them out as as just preaching. He told them not to take any money with them, not take a sword with them even a staff or a walking cane with them. But then he said that they should take that with them in the future to include a sword. And the disciples said, hey, look, we got two swords. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, oh, it's, it's chill out. He said, you know, th- that's enough. Because they were seeing it as immediate. And we'll see that again, that they saw this thing as immediate. Because they understood that Jesus was the Messiah. And they understood enough prophecy from the Pharisees and scribes that they had been taught going to synagogue all their lives that the Messiah was going to be a conquering hero. The Messiah was going to come and rule the world. And so step one in that if it is kick the Romans out of Israel because they were occupiers. The Romans were ruling Israel, not the Jews, not the Messiah. So they were trying to um, analyze prophecy based on current events. You haven't heard anybody doing that recently, have you? Trying to analyze prophecy based on current events? That's a dangerous business. And part of the problem, the second part of that problem of analyzing prophecy is after it happens, we can see it. But to try to predict prophecy, we don't know God's plan. God's plan, he gives us prophecies, but they're kind of like shadows. They're not details. They're like seeing a silhouette of a person without seeing any of the details of their face. And so it's hard to nail down because God isn't about him telling us exactly what's going to happen. It's about us trusting him to the future, trusting our future to him. Come what may. But when he gives us prophecy, it's not for us to predict and get ahead of time. It's for us to go, oh, look, God had already planned this after it happens. And we can celebrate it. And that was the, the, the fallacy that the disciples were making about prophecy. It's a fallacy that we make today about prophecy. Is we're trying to fit, make it fit how we see the future should happen. 
And that's a dangerous thing to do. I don't care what kind of prophecies you're looking at. Pre-mill, post-mill, A-mill, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, it don't matter. Um, None of that. We, We can't predict it. That doesn't mean you're wrong, but we can't predict it. And to try to say definitely this is what's going to happen is, is a recipe for disaster, just as it was for the disciples. So here we have the disciples. They just had the Lord's Supper, which Jesus said that he, he fervently desired to eat this before I suffer. And he predicted multiple times in the book of Luke that he is going to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, to be resurrected. The disciples kept missing it. But now we're on the eve. We're within hours of these predictions happening. And so Jesus and the disciples, we find them in verse 39. So if you're in the lesson plan, that is, we're in lesson number nine, by the way, and I'm starting two verses early. In verse 39, in lesson 20, in Luke 22, verse 39, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, as his and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. So we get here that Jesus came to the Mount of Olives as usual. So when he was in Jerusalem, at least this trip, At nighttime, he went to the Mount of Olives. And so they were sleeping outside. It was like a camping trip, I guess, without tents. And so it was normal. And so the disciples knew all where they are going. This wasn't a surprise. This was was just what they've been doing for the past week since they've been there. So when he reached this place, he told them to pray. Anybody ever ask you to pray? What do you always ask? What, what, pray for what? You know, sometimes we'll say unspoken prayer requests, but often, you know, you, that tells you something anyways. But often, you know, you, you, you ask that question because you want, you know, to know how to pray more um, accurately and, and more specifically. But Jesus said, pray that you may not fall into temptation. So Jesus didn't say, pray for me. He didn't say, and he didn't ask them to pray what he was praying for. He told them to pray for themselves, to not fall in temptation. Some people have a problem praying for themselves. They'll pray for healing, they'll pray for their church, but they won't pray for themselves. When you read the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for yourself. For the most part, you pray for, yes, our kingdom come. We pray for the Lord. But, you know, you pray for what? Your daily bread. Pray that you have something to eat today. 
Because depending on where you are in history and where you are in this world today, you don't know what you're going to eat today. You don't have a pantry full of canned goods and a freezer full of, of frozen meals. But also in the Lord's Prayer, it says pray, you know, that you, for, you forgive, that you be forgiven as you pray to for, forgive others. But it also says pray that you, it talks about temptation. Deliver us from evil or from the evil one. And here Jesus is asking them to pray that they won't fall into t- t- temptation. And so you too should pray for that. Pray that you will not fall into tem- t- temptation. You're, you may not be facing the, the, uh, the meaningful and catastrophic events that, of, that the disciples are about ready to face, where he, the, all of human history changes on this night and the next day. But your life might change. Your life should be changing every day. And so pray that you don't fall into temptation, even in the mundaneness of life, that you don't fall into temptation. Because sometimes that's the worst temptation is when life gets boring. When life is mundane. You want to do something to jazz up your life. That's when temptation comes knocking for many people. But also, you don't know when something major is going to happen in your life. Jesus here, he, he went to pray by himself in verse 42. He says, If you are willing, Lord, take this cup from me. Meaning the suffering that he's about to, to, to endure on the cross. But he says, Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what was coming. Think about all the catastrophes you've had in your life. How many of them did you know in advance that they were coming? You don't. You 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 may you know you may have had a relative or something. It's like you keep living that way, and X is going to happen. Well, X finally happens, but you couldn't predict the day it's going to happen. You know, you keep driving too fast, you're going to get a speeding ticket. And eventually, they got a speeding ticket, but you couldn't predict the day they were going to get the speeding ticket or the time or the highway. You keep smoking, you're going to get cancer. Yeah, but you can't predict the day that it's going to happen. And they may get cancer after they quit smoking. We don't know what the future holds. Jesus did. Think about that. Jesus knew what the future held, and that's why he prayed. He's praying, God, is there another way? If there's not, I accept what I'm going to do. I accept my fate. But this is more than fate. And so, you know, we, we have all this. Jesus has all this on his mind of what's going to happen, about Judas, about Peter going to deny Jesus in the next few hours three times, and how the disciples are all going to run away from him. Plus the pain and the agony of being on a cross of the interrogations and, 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 and the uh, whippings and, and beatings he's going to take before he even gets to the cross. And then just the pain and the agony of being on the cross. He knew all that was coming. 
And he did it anyway. It says he was in agony. So you look through this scripture and you go, well, is Jesus God or is Jesus a man? And we see both here. We see both here. We see his, his, his mental anguish, his emotional anguish. That's, that, that's, that's a human thing. He's physically in agony. He's physically praying so hard that his, his, his sweat is like drops of blood. It says like. It doesn't say it is. It says it's like. Luke was a physician. He knows the difference. And so we see, we see that physical agony, but yet we know that he is God because he knows the future. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. He knows it's Judas is coming. He knows that Peter's going to deny him. He knows the disciples are going to run away. But he also knows that that salvation is going to come for you and for me, even 2,000 years later. He knows that he's going to rise from the dead. He knows all that's going to happen. And it's not a surprise to him. And so we see both his deity and his humanity here as he is praying. Jesus as God doesn't need to pray. But Jesus as man does. We need to pray. Sometimes you need to stay up all night and pray because of something that's going to happen in your life, as Jesus did here. Other times, most of the time, it's absolutely fine to pray as you fall asleep and you fall asleep before you say amen. That's absolutely fine. I have no problem with that. You can say amen in the morning. Prayer is not formulaic. It doesn't, if you don't end with, if you don't end with, in Jesus' name, amen, then the prayer doesn't count. That's not true. That doesn't matter. But in this case, Jesus chides his disciples for sleeping. Why? Because Jesus knew what was coming. The disciples didn't. They didn't understand why Jesus was so anguished. Yes, Jesus had told them about his suffering, but they didn't know it was coming that night. They didn't know it was coming the next day. Jesus never said it. He never gave them that much detail. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. But he didn't tell them which day it was going to happen. And so Jesus' anguish was so great, and the mission was so important that God sent an angel to help minister to Jesus. God sent an angel to the man, Jesus, to his humanity side, because of the importance of the mission. So well, God never sent me an angel. Well, your mission has never been that important, not to all of humanity. That's an important distinction. And maybe God did send you an angel. You just didn't know it was an angel at the time. Or maybe just God sent you a brother or sister in Christ at the right time to be by your side. But here's Jesus. He's praying. He's praying fervently. He's praying with all his might because he knows what's coming. And he doesn't do anything to stop it from coming. 
because he knew God's will. I mean, think about it. If we knew we could stop somebody from suffering, we'd do it. We do it at all costs. We need to stop it, and that's, and that's the right thing to do. But Jesus was not stopping somebody else from suffering. He was stopping himself from suffering, if he stopped anybody. And it would have been a very selfish thing for him to do, because his suffering brought salvation to you and me. And for millions, if not billions, of others throughout human history, his salvation came. And so he did, not, he did nothing to stop it. Because he was looking out for you and me. So his temporary suffering was to stop our eternal suffering so that we have an eternity in heaven instead of an eternity in hell. So as he's praying, as he's talking to disciples, the events are already taking place to move this along. And we see that in verse 47. While he was still speaking... So while he was saying the words in verse 46, Suddenly a mob came. One of the twelve, named Judas, was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? So we read all the way back to the first part of, of, of Luke 22. We see Judas had set up with the Pharisees. as like, I, I know where Jesus is at nighttime. Because over and over again, we see Jesus was in the temple and the Pharisees wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds. They were afraid for themselves because they thought the crowds would, would, would stone them if they tried to arrest Jesus. So even though they hated Jesus, they didn't arrest him publicly. They didn't arrest him in daylight. They used Jesus. They got some insider information about where Jesus was sleeping at nighttime because Nobody knew where Jesus spent the night. I don't know how they didn't know, but they didn't know. And so Jesus comes. And they needed to know which one was Jesus because it's nighttime. They didn't have street lights. They may have had moonlight or starlight. That's it. And they may have been carrying some torches. The fire kind, not the British torches, which we call a flashlight in America. But here they come. It says a mob. It doesn't say how many people are in this mob. But there are no Romans in this mob. These are Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, um, the temple security guards, is what we would call them today. The word, you know, the temple security guards and, and, and uh, the chief priests, uh, personal security detachment type of people. And here they come. And their weapons were swords and clubs. So not even all of them had swords. And Jesus came, and Judas came up, and he knew who Jesus, Jesus was. The thing about it, people you know, you can tell by their silhouette. You can tell by their outline. You can tell by the way they walk. And you, 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 can, you can spot them, you know who they are. And so Judas had spent three years with Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He could tell him by his uh, outline. So Jesus came up to Jesus and greeted him like he probably greeted him many other times with a kiss. That is a normal Middle Eastern uh, greeting. Mediterranean area greeting, you see that. And still today, you come up with a kiss, you'll, you know, side cheek to cheek. It wasn't an unusual thing. 
except in this case, because it was for identification. In verse 49, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck with the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And I think this is what Judas was hoping was going to happen. This was going to be the beginning of the reign of the Messiah. They're going to come to arrest him, and Jesus is going to strike them down. That's what Judas was hoping to happen, I think. And here it doesn't say the name of the disciple, but we know from the other Gospels, all because all, all the, the Gospels put to this account in here, we know it's Peter who grabs the sword. And Peter's a fisherman, not a swordsman. So he strikes for one of the, one of the guards' um, heads, and all he got was an ear. Which tells me that th- this was not Romans, because Romans would be wearing helmets. And you ever see the Roman helmets? They have that, those pieces that come down the side of the head. That, that look kind of funny. Well, those guards, if this, this guard was wearing that, that would have protected his ear from getting chopped off. That's what they're there for, is to protect their ears from a glancing blow like this. So this was not a Roman soldier. He did not have a protective helmet on. He did not have his PPE. It's all, Peter missed his his neck, but all he got was an ear. And so this was what Judas was hoping for. This is what the disciples were probably hoping for. The, the beginning of the reign of the Messiah. First, they're going to take out the, the, the Jewish leadership that's collaborating with the Romans. And then they'll take out the Romans. This is the beginning. This is how God is going to defeat, and, and this is how God is going to fulfill Scripture. In verse 51, But Jesus responded, no more of this. This was not God's plan. This was man's plan. This was Judas's plan. This was Peter's plan. It was not God's plan. And Jesus stopped it. Right there. The only casualty was one ear. And we see there that in Jesus touching his ear, healed him. We know that servant's name was Malchus. We see that in other Gospels. And Jesus picked the wounded ear up, touched it back to the guy's head, Malchus's head, and healed him on the spot. This was not God's plan. Jesus knew that. He would not thwart God's plan. This is when Judas knew he had made a mistake. This is when the disciples were were completely dumbfounded and they didn't know what the future held. And they ran away in fear because they didn't want to be arrested either. God's plan does not follow our logic. God's plan does not use current events the way we think they're going to be used. Jesus said, no more of this. And he healed the guy who was wounded. 
And we know from the other Gospels, he tells, he tells the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees that come, he says, let these other ones go. And we know they all ran away. And one may have ran away without any clothes on. They just took off and ran. In verse 52, Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the temple police, and the elders who had come out for him, and the security guys, the thugs, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour, the dominion of darkness. So God, Jesus took and and laid it out to the Pharisees who they were and what they were doing. He showed them for the cowardice that they were, but he also showed them the evilness that was in their hearts because they did this in the middle of the night under the dominion of darkness. Think about all the crimes that we see. Almost all of them happen in the middle of the night, after midnight. Sometimes they happen They happen during the day and we're aghast. They happen in broad daylight. But we're not surprised when they happen in the middle of the night. So here Jesus comes, fully human, yet fully man. He knows what's coming, but he doesn't do anything to stop it. And he doesn't let others, even his own disciples, derail him. He was not a people pleaser. He was a God pleaser. He did what God's will was, not what man's will was. And so we see the full deity of Jesus. We see the full humanity of Jesus in this scripture as it's leading up to his death. He does nothing to stop it. But he points out that what the disciples needed to do, that needed to pray that they don't fall into temptation. And we see Peter here fell into temptation already. He starts fighting back with a sword. And actually, Jesus just says, stop it. He says, that's not the plan for today. But he told Judas what he was doing. Judas thought he was instigating a plan for God. But Jesus realized that Judas wasn't walking with God. He was not walking in faith. And Judas tried to concoct his own plan. And it was a plan of betrayal. The Pharisees, the scribes, they thought they were following God of the Old Testament. Everything about him. But really all they're doing is protecting their own power. Protecting their own job. And their true heart is in the dominion of darkness. And Jesus points that out to him, to them. So Jesus is revealing men's hearts, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the heart of Judas, the heart of the other disciples. Pray that you don't fall in temptation. 
If you're not a child of God, that's, that's a useless prayer. You're already in temptation. To pray that you do not fall into temptation is a pray to the followers of God that you don't fall into sin, either an individual sin or a pattern of sin or just sinful thought. If that doesn't come your way and that you can overcome it, it's not that the temptation won't come, but that you won't fall for the temptation. That you won't go down that path. You will choose to ignore that temptation. You'll choose to follow God instead. That's, that's the real answer to temptation. Not that the temptation never comes, that you can overcome the temptation. So you can turn to this Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, and follow him. And if you are a follower of God, continue to pray that you do not fall into temptation. That you continue to follow the will of God in your life, even though you don't know what that always entails. Jesus knew. You don't. I don't. You can come to me and say, what's the will of God in my life? I can give you some generalities, but I don't know the specifics. I don't know if you should take job A or job B. I don't know if you should marry this person or not. I can't tell you those answers, but I do know you just need to follow God each and every day as, as things happen in your life and choose faith instead of choosing sin. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the mighty God. You are the God that knows all. You are not surprised by anything that happens in our lives. We can be surprised, but you're not. Help us to follow you in faith, no matter what the future holds for us. Whatever blessings and great things are going to come down the line, whatever awfulness comes down the line, that we don't consider blessings. But help us to choose you, no matter what. For you are the God who gives us eternity. You were our final judge. And you demand us to be holy, so help us not to fall into temptation. Help us to overcome temptation when it comes our way. And help us to live by faith each and every day. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I thank you for watching and thank you for listening, everyone. Once again, I'm Pastor Nelson Nisley, Associate Pastor at Tower View. You can check us out at TowerViewKC.com. You can call us at 816-368-1330. That's a call number. That's a text line. You can do either one. You can leave us a message at our website, on our Facebook page. Um, if you've got questions about your faith, if you've got questions about life that we can answer, let us know. Um, you are the mighty God. And so I just thank you for that. So, you know, if you got questions, you got questions about something I said, whether I stumbled over my words and said something I didn't mean, or if there's some profound thing that's like, how does God work that way? You know, let, let us know that we can do. If you got questions about how do I follow this God? How do I change? How does he change my life? Let us know that for salvation. So, um, I thank you all for watching and for listening. If you find this, if you found this valuable, you know, hit hit those little buttons there at the bottom that say like or heart or whichever ones you you, you like. 
Um, I hope you don't hit the angry one. I don't like I don't like it when people hit the angry one. Um, and if you find if you think other people find this helpful, share it. Share it on your on your wall so others can see it. And I pray that it'll, it'll be beneficial to them too. So I thank you for watching and listening this morning. I thank you for um, your faithfulness to God, and I, I pray that um, you, you will uh, continue to follow God. Church this morning, ten thirty. Um, Drive-in church, outside church, uh, inside if you have reservations. After the service today, um, we will have a picnic. Bring your own food, bring your own lawn chairs or blankets, whatever you want to sit on. So we'll sit outside so we can uh, take off our masks and, and, and spread out. And it uh, looks like the rain, last time I checked the weather, will hold off till later today. So we should be good there. might be a little windy. That may be the only thing. Um, so once you get here, I will probably be on the east side of the church under the trees, uh, but we'll figure that out when, when everybody gets here. But thank you for watching and listening. God bless and have a wonderful day.